0: Uh, I think most people in evangelicalism, when they see a squirrel, thinks of Gene Clyde. It's really strange when you think about it. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts, this is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your Squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Thursday, September 22nd, 2022. Mm. And it's Thursday, so I've been up early today for prayer meeting with uh, my brothers at uh, Grace Bible Theological Seminary. We had... uh, well, I think it was three or four guys in person down there in Conway, and then we had uh, seven, eight people on Zoom. So always good to get together and pray for the school, pray for each other, pray for the faculty and the, the progress of the classes and our churches and all those good things that, uh, that we pray for. When we get together, and it reminds me again of the importance of prayer, and and how we so often, and I'm including myself in this, so often neglect time in prayer, um, that uh, that we really should spend more time with. But yeah, I get up at 4:30 on Thursdays so that I can get a shower and have some coffee before I have to actually talk to anybody at 5:30. Um, I've always had, I've always had a get up an hour before I have to do something thing going, so I did that this morning, which means there will be a nap today at some point before tonight's Bible study. Hmm, coffee is a must on days when you get up at four thirty. Squirrel Chatter is a podcast that is dedicated primarily to the public reading of Scripture. And we are reading through the entire Bible in the Legacy Standard Bible Translation this year. And we are reading today from 2 Kings 22 and 23, Psalm 73, and 2 Corinthians 5. In our Old Testament reading, we're just about up to the Babylonian captivity now remember that this is something that that we don't think about very often. But when you think about the history of the Old Testament, you've got the 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 Babylonian captivity is kind of the culmination of the New Testament. You have the Babylonian captivity and and the the very important books of Daniel and Ezekiel that are written during that time. And then you have Ezra Nehemiah, the, the rebuilding and the return to Jerusalem, and a few post-exilic po- prophets. And then there's 400 years without a prophet in Israel until the arrival of John the Baptist and the New Testament. So the, the, as we reach the end of you know, looking at the history books and we're coming up on the Babylonian captivity That's marking, we're getting close to the end of the Old Testament. Um, We often think of the Old Testament times as going right up until Christ, and the Old Testament times do. But the Old Testament doesn't record quite a bit in there after the return from the Babylonian captivity. Squirrel Chatter is also, I want to remind everybody, a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to christianpodcastcommunity.org. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. I commend them to you. Um, you're sure to find something that's going to be entertaining and edifying. And everything is is uh, is uh, uh, doctrinally sound, as I said. there uh, There's quite a bit of... Uh, Examination that goes on before a podcast is allowed to join the community. I'm still astonished Squirrel Chatter got in, but that's just me. All right. And it is Thursday, so it's Theology Thursday. And we're going to be looking at paragraph three of chapter eight of the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. So that will conclude our program. And real quick, a programming note I am leaving Monday for my trip down to Conway, Arkansas for early church history with Dr. James White, an on-campus intensive at Grace Bible Theological Seminary. So I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks. So I have been pre-recording audio-only, Bible-reading-only episodes for the, the time that I'm gone. So the next two weeks' episodes, starting Monday, will be pre-recorded, and they will be audio only, and they will be scripture readings only. So there's not going to be a Theology Thursday, there's not going to be a Federalist Friday, there's not going to be any commentary on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday on, on anything that's happening in the world. It's just the Bible reading, and it's just audio. Um, The reason it's just audio is that it just takes too long to upload the videos for me to do two weeks worth. Um, If I'd have started earlier, I could have done it. But life's been busy, and your life has probably been busy as well. So they're going to be audio only, scripture reading only, for two weeks. Just to keep us all uh, up to date on the scripture reading, so that when I come back, we will launch right back into where we left off. So there is that. Um, That also means that the conclusion of our look into the um, Frankfurt Declaration on Christian and Civil Liberties is going to be when I return. So there's going to be a two-week gap in there. So that should have everybody caught up. I think that's where we are today. So let's begin, as is our habit and a good habit it is, with the prayer of confession from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But Thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare Thou them, O God, Excuse me, which confess their faults. Restore Thou them that are penitent, according to Thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O Most Merciful Father, for His sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of Thy holy name. Amen. And now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who hast caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, Second Kings chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the sight of Yahweh and walked in all the way of his father David and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Now it happened in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shiphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of... Meshullam the scribe, to the house of Yahweh, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money brought into the house of Yahweh, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. And let them give it into the hand of those who do the work, who have the oversight of the house of Yahweh. And let them give it into the, give it to those who do the work, who are in the house of Yahweh, to repair the damages of the house." to the craftsmen and builders and masons for buying timber and hewn stone to repair the house. Only no accounting shall be made with them for the money given into their hands, for they deal faithfully. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shephan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of Yahweh. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shephan, and he read it. Then Shephan the scribe came to the king and responded to the king with a word and said, Your servants have poured out the money that was found in the house and have given it into the hands of those who do the work, who have the oversight of the house of Yahweh. Moreover, Shephan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shephan read it in the presence of the king. Now it happened that when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahiakim, the son of Shephan, Achbor, the son of Micaiah, Shephan the scribe, and Asaiah the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of Yahweh for me and the people and all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of Yahweh which is set aflame against us because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest Ahakam, Akbor, Shephan, and Asaiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalem, the son of Tikvah, uh, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke to her. And she said to them, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Say to the man who sent you to me, Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I am bringing evil on this place and on its inhabitants, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and have burnt incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore my wrath is set aflame against this place, and it shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of Yahweh, thus you shall say to him, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Regarding the words which you have heard, because your heart was soft and you humbled yourself before Yahweh when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become an object of horror and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I truly have heard you, declares Yahweh. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you will be gathered to your grave in peace, so your eyes will not see all the evil which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. Chapter 23. Then the king sent, and they gathered to him all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of Yahweh, and all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests, and the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of Yahweh. Then the king stood by the pillar and cut a covenant before Yahweh to walk after Yahweh and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to establish the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people entered into the covenant. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest and the priests of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of Yahweh all the vessels that were made for Baal, for Asherah and for all the hosts of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. And he did away with the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had appointed and who burn incense in the high places, in the cities of Judah and in the surrounding area of Jerusalem, as well as those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and to the moon and to the constellations and to all the hosts of heaven. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of Yahweh outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and ground it to dust and threw its dust on the graves of the common people. He also tore down the houses of the male cult prostitutes which were in the house of Yahweh where the women were weaving hangings for the Asherah. Then he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. And he tore down the high places of the gates, which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the ruler of the city, which were on one's left at the city gate. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not go up to the altar of Yahweh in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. So he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire for Molech, And he did away with the horses which the kings of Judah had given to the sun at the entrance of the house of Yahweh by the chamber of Nathan-Melech, the official, who was in the precincts. And he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. Also the altars which were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of Yahweh, the king tore down. And he crushed them there and threw their dust into the brook Kidron. And the high places which were before Jerusalem, which were on the right of the Mount of Destruction, which Solomon the king of Israel had built for Ashtoreth, the detestable idol of the Sidonians, and for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of the sons of Ammon, the king defiled. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the ashram, and filled their places with human bones. Furthermore, the altar that was at Bethel, and the high place which Jeroboam the son of Nabat, who made Israel sin, had made, even that altar and the high place he tore down. Then he demolished its stones, ground them to dust, and burned the Asherah. Then Josiah turned, and he saw the graves that were there on the mountain, And he sent and took the bones from the graves and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of Yahweh, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these things. Then he said, What is this monument I see? And the men of the city told him, It is the grave of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, Let him alone, let no one move his bones." So they left his bones undisturbed with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. And also all the houses of, houses of the high places which were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made, provoking Yahweh to anger, Josiah removed. And he did to them as he had done in Bethel. And all the priests of the high places who were there, he slaughtered on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Celebrate the Passover to Yahweh your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. For such a Passover had not been celebrated from the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and of the kings of Judah. But in the eighteenth year of King Josiah, this Passover was celebrated to Yahweh in Jerusalem. Moreover, The mediums and the spiritists and the teraphim and the idols and all the detestable things that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, Josiah purged in order that he might establish the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of Yahweh. And before him there was no king like him who turned to Yahweh with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. However, Yahweh did not turn from his great burning anger, his anger which burned against Judah, because of all the provocations which Manasseh had provoked him to anger. And Yahweh said, I will remove Judah also from my presence, as I have removed Israel. And I will reject Jerusalem, this city which I have chosen, and the house of which I said, My name shall be there. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up to the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates, and King Josiah went to meet him. And when Pharaoh Necho saw him, he put him to death at Megiddo. And his servants drove his body in a chariot from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. Then the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in place of his father. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hamatal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh, according to all that his fathers had done. And Pharaoh Necho imprisoned him at Riblah, in the land of Hamath that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he imposed on the land a fine of 100 talents of silver and and one talent of gold. Then Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in the place of Josiah, his father, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. But he took Jehoahaz and brought him to Egypt, and he died there. So Jehoiakim, gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land in order to give the money at the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land, each according to his valuation, to give it to Pharaoh Necho. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Zebedah, the daughter of Pedaiah of Ramah. And he did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh, according to all that his fathers had done. Now Psalm 73. A Psalm of Asaph. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the boastful, I saw the peace of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, and they are not stricken along with the rest of mankind. Therefore, lofty pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eyes, their eye bulges from fatness, and de- the delusions of their heart overflow. They scoff and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue goes through the earth. Therefore, His people return here to his place, and the waters of fullness are drunk by them. They say, How does God know, and is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease, they have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long, and reproved every morning." If I had said, I will recount thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I gave thought to know this, it was trouble in my sight. Until I came to the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You caused them to fall to destruction. How they become detestable in a moment. They are completely swept away by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like an animal before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel you will lead me, and afterward take me in glory. Whom have have I in heaven but you? And besides you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the rock of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed everyone who is unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have set Lord Yahweh as my refuge, that I may recount all your works. And now 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So then, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But we have been made manifest to God, and I hope that we have been made manifest also in your conscience. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an opportunity to boast of us. So that you will have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in art. For if we are out of our mind, it is for God. Or if we are of right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf." Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet we know him in his way no longer. Therefore, in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as God is pleading through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the word of the Lord. Now the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now the collect for grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, Defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings may be ordered by thy governance, to do always that is righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. It is Theology Thursday, and we are returning to our walkthrough of the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. We are in chapter 8. Of Christ the Mediator. And this morning we are looking at paragraph 3. I will begin by reading the paragraph. The Lord Jesus, in his human nature, thus united to the divine, in the person of the Son, was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure, having in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in whom it pleased the Father that all fullness should dwell, to the end that being holy, harmless, undefiled, and full of grace and truth, he might be thoroughly furnished to execute the office of mediator and surety, which office he took not upon himself, but was thereunto called by his Father, who also put all power and judgment in his hand, and gave him commandment to execute the same. Again, deeply theological as, well, I guess a, Statement of faith should be. Look at that first clause. The Lord Jesus in his human nature, thus united to the divine in the person of the Son, was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure. We see this in Psalm 45, 7. The psalmist writes, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore your God therefore God your God has anointed you with the oil of joy above your companions. The the fact that that just the 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 ministry of Christ, the fact that this ministry was bestowed upon him. Um I believe in many ways before the incarnation. We were I was my uh a couple of classmates and I Landon and, and Duffy and I are reading through Dr. Scott Christensen's. What about evil? Which is a phenomenal book. I I've read it through and I'm reading it through again with these guys. And we were, we were zooming this morning after the morning prayer meeting, we were zooming and looking through that book together. And, uh, one one of the guys said that um it was duffy we were talking about the fact that the fall of man was god's plan and we were we were talking about you know Christ praying in John chapter 6 and then and later in John where he he says that you know all the father all those that the Father gives me will come to me. And then during his high priestly prayer, he says, Of those you have given me, I have lost none. When did the Father give the redeemed to the Son? It was before the creation of the world. E- eternity passed. There, there was the plan was in place before God said, "Let there be light. The plan of salvation was in place. All of history was in place. And uh, and, and, and it was said this morning, I don't remember who said it again, but it was like it wasn't five minutes before Christmas where the father said to the son all right we need to we need to solidify this plan you're about to be born and incarnate we got to we got to work this out no it had been worked out in eternity past and so the incarnation was the plan from the beginning from before the beginning that the human nature would be united to the divine nature in the person of christ which was paragraph two that we looked at last week and he was sanctified that's set apart and anointed with the holy spirit above measure acts chapter 10 verse 38 says you know of jesus of nazareth how god anointed him with the holy spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil For God was with him. Jesus never ceased to be divine, yet, in a very real way, he lived the perfect human life in the power of the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit, directed by God the Father, living in perfect obedience. The healings that he did, much of the miracles that he did were done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, you know, the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit is the power of Christ and, and is the power of the Father. There, there's a, we, we understand that, that the, the persons of the Trinity are inseparable. They are perfectly united Yet they're distinct. And Christ set aside not his power, not his divinity, but the exercise of his power and divinity in a lot of ways. Um, John 3.34, For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. So Christ is, in his human life, living the perfect human life we can't live. We've talked about that before. Having in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2.3 In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's a straightforward quote of Scripture. But think about that. All knowledge and all wisdom. Many people are ignorant, without knowledge, and many who have knowledge are unwise, without wisdom. So we live in a world full of ignorant and unwise people. Christ had all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is one of the reasons why we should follow him. Some one of the reasons we should listen to him. We are often ignorant and we are often unwise. In whom it pleased the Father that all fullness should dwell. Again, direct allusion from Scripture. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is a statement that Christ is fully God. To the end, that being holy, harmless, undefiled. Now, harmless is an interesting word here. We understand holy, set apart, righteous. Uh, you know, go back to, to Isaiah chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. God is holy. Only God is holy. Truly. Those whom he has sanctified and made holy are holy. In, his, in Christ, not in themselves. He is holy in himself. But what about that word harmless? What, what it means in this context, this is not referring or not denying the fact that Christ will judge the earth and the majority of humanity will be condemned and sent to hell. Scripture is clear on that. We could think of that. That's certainly not harmless. What it means here is he did no wrong. He did no one any wrong. The, the harm that will befall the wicked is justice. Um... So when it says harmless here it's talking about he did no wrong and undefiled he himself was without sin. Hebrews 7:26 For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. We need a perfect high priest. Remember, the role of the priest is to represent man to God. If we have a perfect high priest who stands before God to represent us, and he is perfect, then God looks to all whom that priest represents as perfect. Remember, we are righteous in him. We are clothed with his righteousness, not our own. And he is separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens in ways we cannot even comprehend. And he is full of grace and truth. John 1:14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Remember, he has all knowledge and he has all wisdom. And he is, he is truth. You know, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to me, comes to the Father except by me. He is the truth. He embodies truth. He is true and right and justice. God cannot lie because God is truth. He might be thoroughly affirming it. Uh, He might be thoroughly furnished to execute the office of mediator and surety. Mediator talks about his role as priest. He is the mediator between man and God. Surety. That's a word that talks about a guarantee. Um, Often when someone takes out a loan, they have to give surety. Um, they have to, to show that they possess something equal to or greater than the value of the loan that will go to the lender if they default on the loan. Surety is a guarantee. It's like when you buy a house and you get a loan from the bank to buy the house, the loan agreement states that if you don't pay the the, the mortgage, The bank forecloses and gets the house. The house itself is the surety of the loan. Same with a car loan. You buy a car on credit, the car itself is the surety of the loan. If you do not pay the loan, the car will be repossessed by the bank. So surety is a guarantee. Christ is the surety. Surety. He is the guarantor of our salvation. Hebrews 7.22, So much more, Jesus also has become the guarantee of a better covenant, which office he took not upon himself, but was thereunto called by his Father. Hebrews 5, five. In this way also Christ did not glorify himself to become a high priest, but he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Uh, it's difficult to discuss inter Trinitarian relationships. We are given glimpses. We we understand that the you know relationship of Father and Son, and of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you know one God eternally existing in three co-equal persons. Yeah, we understand that, or we know that. <laughs> I don't think anybody really understands it, but we know it. And, you know, but there is a, there seems to be some sort of hierarchy in the persons of the Trinity. The authority with which Christ operated was um, authority given to him by the Father. Christ didn't claim the office of high priest on his own. He was gifted that from the Father. He was sent by the Father. He came to do the will of the Father. And so we don't understand how, you know, co-equal and co-eternal persons of the one God submit to each other. And, And there's quite a discussion on that I think it's one of those things that that the Scripture really doesn't give us enough information to say with dogmatic surety exactly how the relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit works. And I think that, that much of what has been said about it is speculative, and the fact that good and godly people on both sides of the argument are fighting so much about it right now is disheartening. Um, It's not useful. Um, And I I think this is a Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. We are given glimpses. We're given some clues, but I don't think we're given enough to be dogmatic about how the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit works. So, he was given the office by the Father, who also put all power and judgment in his hand and gave him commandment to execute the same. Christ is going to judge the world. He is the judge who sits on the great white throne at the final judgment. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 5, verse 22, For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. And then in verse 27, And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So that authority to judge given by the Father to the Son and the commandment to execute that authority or that judgment came from the Father. Matthew 28, 18, the the beginning of the the Great Commission. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then Acts 2, 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So let me read the whole paragraph again and... uh, See just how deeply theological this is. The Lord Jesus, in his human nature, thus united to the divine in the person of the Son, was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure, having in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in whom it pleased the Father in all fullness should dwell to the end that being holy, harmless, undefiled, and full of grace and truth, he might be thoroughly furnished to execute the office of mediator and surety, which office he took not not upon himself, but was thereunto called by his Father, who also put all power and judgment in his hand and gave him commandment to execute the same. This is the Lord of glory whom we worship. All right, folks, have a great Thursday. I've got a bunch of stuff to do today. You probably do too. But as you go through the day, remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. See you again here tomorrow. Take care. God bless.